In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for As we place our attention on Jesus, truly present in the Blessed Sacrament, we ask him to give us personal lights on this special topic of our prayer. I will reveal the topic in a moment. But this topic explains why all of us are in this particular chapel. Okay, This topic explains it. And the topic is an anniversary. October 2nd marks the anniversary of a miraculous divine intervention by which Saint Jose Maria Escrivá received a light on how to create the civilization of love. That phrase, civilization of love, was coined by Pope Paul VI amid tremendous turmoil and in the 60s and in the 70s. Why does this anniversary explain why we're here? Well, this is a means of formation of Opus Dei, and it started with this illumination St. Josemaria received. All right, a little history. What's so special about this illumination? Well, in order to create a civilization of love, a light on how to bring Jesus Christ in a new way into the very heart of the world amid perhaps a culture that is antithetical to the gospel. Well, it all started with a snowstorm in Spain. How's that? And Jose Maria Escrivá was a teenage boy. I don't think Spain undergoes as many snowstorms as Chicago, so probably that made a big impression on the young Saint Jose Maria. And like any bona fide teenage boy, well, I'm going to go run in the snow, perhaps have a snowball fight. Or make a snowman. I don't know if they make snowmans in, in Spain, but uh, boys will be boys. And he noticed, as the younger generation says today, he noticed something weird. And what was weird? That he noticed bare footprints, toes, imprint of toes, in this virgin snow after the snowstorm in this frigid weather. Very severe cold snap in Logroño, Spain, somewhere in northern Spain. 
And he's staring at these footprints. One thing is footprints in the sands of Hawaii. The other thing is footprints in the snow. And those footprints led to a monastery, a Carmelite monastery. And it made him think. He stopped and he became very, very pensive. Those toe prints kind of spoke to him. The Holy Spirit used that medium to change his life. Those footprints of this monk, unbeknownst to him, was a game changer, as they say today, for the teenage Jose Maria Scrivá. His plans were to be an architect and start a family. But right then and there, he detected, God wants something of me. These footprints kind of shook him up. The Holy Spirit's not going to use footprints in my case, or maybe your case. You'd probably look at those footprints and, and say, that's weird, and then go home and have some hot chocolate. But that wasn't his case. Those footprints were providential. You know how Jesus is. Jesus has a great Jewish sense of humor. And so in his Jewish sense of humor, he uses those footprints to you know, have a major impact on the history of the church, on the evangelization of the world. And so he detains himself. And he says, I've got to lay down my life for Christ. This is what these footprints mean to me. And I want to be totally available for whatever God wants of me. I think God wants something of me. I don't know what it is. So I will begin by pursuing the priesthood. Didn't plan on it. In fact, in his biography, he didn't like Latin or maybe he did like Latin, but he felt that it was a waste of time because Latin was just for priests. This is the olden days. It helps even now, but you know, in the olden days it helped even more. And so he does that. He breaks the news to his dad, and his dad starts to shed some tears. I guess he wanted him to eventually get married and give him grandchildren and be the head of the family when he leaves this world. But this father said, I'll help you out. And so he's taking this very seriously. He goes into the seminary. And he is praying up a storm. No, he's not saying, you know, our father's here and there. He's pulling all-nighters in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And he's pulling, I'm not saying that's the moral of the story. Now go right, now go home and start pulling all-nighters. That's not the moral of the story. I'm just telling you the background here. Okay, unless you get and I get major inspiration, we're expected to get a decent night's sleep and not to pull an all-nighter in prayer. But that's what he would do, and he would pull all afternooners as well. He'd be there, lost in prayer, asking the Lord to tell him what he wants, because he realizes it. It's not just to be a priest. There's more to it than that. It includes it, but there's more to it than that. So anyway, he's, um, he's doing this for over 10 years. You know, he's doing this in the seminary, and then he, he's 
kneeling before the Blessed Sacrament, and then near his seminary is one of the most famous shrines of the Blessed Virgin Mary in Spain. Okay, for an American, it may sound a little different. It's called Our Lady of the Pillar. And you probably say to yourself, man, they're really desperate for Marian shrines. <laughs> Our Lady of the Pillar. <laughs> Our Lady of the Chair, the Our Lady of the Table. Uh, man, you know, these Catholic countries really go to town with Marian devotion. It's a pillar because tradition has it that Mary appeared on top of a Roman pillar, you know, right after Jesus died, in a vision, even though she was still alive, but in a vision before St. James the Apostle, who traditionally has brought the faith to Spain. She bilocated, they say. You know, some saints have bilocated. She bilocated in Spain, and she said, don't get down on the Spaniards, Jim. There is hope. They're not as bad as you think. And they're going to do great things, you know, in the future, which they have. St. Josemaria was a Spaniard. <laughs> so that's the pillar. So she appeared on the pillar. So there's a big cathedral with an image of Mary on a pillar. To be honest, I was in there and I needed a lot of explanation to figure out why hordes of people were praying to an image of Our Lady that was about a foot and a half high on a pillar. I was just, just, just trying to figure it out. That's you know, you know, you got the Guadalupe, you know, that's kind of self-explanatory, but, you know, <laughs> a little statue on a pillar and you get hordes of people, you know, there's something I'm missing. All right. So he would hang out there and he would be praying rosaries and speaking to Our Lady and, and saying aspirations. One of his favorite aspirations was when he'd come before our Lord and pray, he'd say, Lord, may I see, Lord, may I see, Lord, may I see. And in front of Our Lady, he would say, Lady, let it be, let it be. And I, I guess there was no copyright laws on that prayer. And uh, that prayer was stolen by the Beatles and turned into a song in the 60s. Uh, Lady, let it be. Anyway, so that's, that was his deal. And he was doing this and um, didn't know what to expect. And he's making a retreat with a religious congregation or in the residence of a religious congregation. He's lost in prayer, and out of the blue, he's hit with a preternatural, a supernatural illumination, a, a light that revealed Jesus Christ in the world in a new way. It was a message, it was a grace, it was a light to evangelize the world in a new way. And it kind of shook him up. It was something he didn't expect, because what our Lord was telling him was, I'm giving you something here. I'm giving you a grace. I'm giving you a power, because that's what a grace is, to actually change the entire world. All right, well, let's massage that a little bit, because uh, you know, that's kind of a tall order. You know, Change the world. Just to give it a little bit of perspective, as I said, the Lord has a Jewish sense of humor, and so does his mother. And uh, just to give it a little bit of perspective, this is kind of the Lord's style. I'm an amateur teacher of the history of the church. And um, right now I'm listening to a book on tape on Joan of Arc leading the French in battle. This little woman who hardly knows that it doesn't know how to read or write and is, you know, basically changing the course of history because God has given her a grace. 
or you know, these little three illiterate children in Fatima are, are told about world wars, about communism, about the fall of communism, if they get other people to pray the rosary. That's kind of the style. You know, Jesus is born in Bethlehem and three smelly shepherds are, are, are the people who show up and that's it. He, he rises from the dead and no one's there for that one. So that's kind of his style. And Jose Maria Escrivá then was very poor. And in fact, he was study, trying to get his doctorate in law so he could get a job to f- support his family because his dad had died. And he had very little means. And in fact, it wasn't even his home diocese. He didn't have any connections. He didn't know anybody. He, he was there just for a short while to get this advanced degree to teach. And he's scared, and he asks the spiritual director, this is what happened to me. And the spiritual director immediately says, this comes from God. you got to go for it. And what was the contents of this light? That if we follow this light, we will change the world. We will create a civilization of love. That's basically what the light said. You've got to follow a certain path, and you will change the world. Okay, there's a lot of content in the light, and we're going to unpack it before a quarter of eight. Another perspective, which I think adds to this anniversary, that this light comes at a very tough time. The popes talk about the new evangelization. The popes talk about creating a civilization of love. The popes, especially St. John Paul, talked about the culture of death. That culture of death began in a very dramatic way with the First World War, where now we're talking about the first time in the history of the world millions of people are dying. Mary appears during World War I to these three kids, and she says, this is happening because my, my son has been rejected. He says, this is what happens when my son is rejected. Uh, when, we re- when, when God is not a player in human life, human life gets destroyed. Uh, it was a time of the Bolshevik Revolution. Now, for the first time in the history of humankind, you have regimes predicated on a hatred of Christ. You know, when you hate religion, you know, the conclusion is you hate God. And so communism is based on that. And then on the, and on the horizon is another atheistic regime predicated on the hatred of God and hatred of the race of God himself, the Jewish people, uh, called Nazi Germany. And on the immediate eve of Spain's worst religious persecution, worse than those first years of the Roman Empire, where thousands and thousands of priests and nuns were slaughtered out of hatred for the Catholic faith. And that is why St. Josemaria says it's an expression of Christ's mercy, this intervention, this illumination that has been approved by the church. What are the contents of the illumination? Here's where especially you come in. I come in too, but you come in in a, in a more direct way, I'd say. In this light, he sees that the church has to be brought to the people and that the burden 
of changing the world, of extending the kingdom of Christ, falls on the shoulders of the lay woman and the lay man. When he started to talk about this light, he was accused of heresy and being too liberal. Because he said, he said, in this light, he says, the lay woman, the lay man, the hairdresser, the teacher, the doctor, the homemaker, the cab driver, the baseball player, especially the baseball player, is called to love Christ as much as St. Teresa of Avila or St. Catherine of Siena or St. Therese, little flower, and that they're expected to lay down their lives as much as the greatest of all saints. That was, in those days, those olden days, that was seen as very unorthodox. That was seen as heretical, so heretical that he was condemned by some priest from the pulpit, that he was way off the wall. And he said that this attitude among Catholics of just practicing your faith, going to Mass on Sunday, making a few donations, staying out of sin, in those days not eating meat on Friday, saying your night prayers, that was sufficient. They said no. A, a major, major part of Christ's teaching has been in hibernation. And that is that every single person, especially that ordinary person in the middle of the world, is called to bring other people to Christ. And ultimately to bring that whole world to Jesus Christ. We're not doing it right if we're passive. We're not doing it right if we just practice our faith. And there's only one way to do it right. It is a tall order. That's why people growled at him in those days is to follow Christ totally in our particular circumstances. The great majority as married people, but with no less dedication as the greatest of all saints. He says that if we do that, we will change the world. Just by way of illustration, this message, this light he received on October 2nd has become solemn teaching of the Second Vatican Council. He's a forerunner of the Second Vatican Council. And when the document on the laity was published in the Second Vatican Council, or approved, and uh, another document, uh, Lumen Gentium, the, the major document, and then the other one, Gautam Espez, which emphasized the role of the laity, that they are called to bring Christ into the modern world. That's the teaching of Vatican II. One cardinal came to visit St. Maria when those documents were approved and published, and this cardinal congratulated him. Monsignor, congratulations. What was seen as something avant-garde a number of decades ago is now solemn teaching of the Catholic Church. 
you must be elated that the church recognizes the role of the laity to bring Christ into the modern world. And it seems like St. Josemaria threw a little bit of rain on the Cardinal's parade. He said, Your Eminence, that can only happen if the laity are saints, if they are true contemplatives. Contemplative means someone who habitually is dialoguing with Jesus. If they're true contemplatives, they will transform the world. But if they're not, the world will transform them. Will transform them. So this vision is also a prophecy. It's not just, hey, the lay person is called to bring Jesus Christ into the modern world. They're called to be great saints, and in their efforts to become great saints, they will bring Jesus Christ into the modern world. Maybe I could tell a quick, little quick anecdote. It's an anecdote I tend to repeat a little bit. I was flying to Denver. I'm afraid of flying. I'm afraid of flying because of the interesting characters I run into. Anyway, I'm doing my Liturgy of the Hours. There's a book like this, and you know, and there's Our Fathers, and there's I'm reading the Psalms, and I say the Our Father, and this young lady's right in front of me waving. And, you know, she's got blue hair, and, you know, hair is standing up, and she's got kind of a funky bracelet on, and leather jacket, leather pants, I think, with a baby in her arms. I go back to my praying, come up for air again, and there she is. Says, I just want to say hello to a friendly face. 201 chance that she would sit next to me on the plane. And guess what? You got it. She was sitting next to me and telling me her story. I was trying to keep her voice down. And anyway, she had all, as they say today, she had all sorts of issues. And she said, I'm undergoing a conversion right now. And I go, you are? She says, yeah, I am. I said, what does that mean? I'm a Catholic, she said, and I'm exploring my Catholic faith. And she was probably saying, she was saying, you know, don't judge a book by its cover. Oh, it's hard not to. And she says, and I'm starting to talk to Jesus. And I need less counseling. I still need it, but less. He's my more effective counselor. And then I just asked her. I mean, there's more to it than that. I'll, you know, if I forget, I'll repeat it in another meditation. I'll give you more details, but we're out of time. There's more to it than that. But basically, I said, listen, I'm just curious. What, you know, what's the reason for your conversion? She says, because of my grandfather. I said, is he real smart? Is that? She says, I don't know. He's very good. He's very holy. He loves me. And he's teaching me the Catholic faith. But he said, but the reason why I'm interested is because he's such a good man. And so St. Josemaria says the following. In, in the way, he says, may your behavior and your conversation be such that everyone who sees or hears you can say this man or this woman reads the life of Jesus Christ. You must 
it says here in the way, and this is written in the early 30s. And it's originally aimed at university students to help them meditate and have quiet time with Christ. He says this, You must inspire others with love of God and zeal for souls, so that they in turn will set on fire many more who are at a third plane, who will in their turn spread the flame to their associates. What a lot of spiritual calories you need, and what tremendous responsibility if you let yourself grow cold. And so the takeaway here is let's, you know, let's wrestle with our Lord a little bit, to use a phrase of Pope Benedict, and foster those sentiments of being holy, not for ourselves, so that we actually bring this kingdom of love and peace, which is Jesus Christ, to many others, because it depends on how much we can witness it. We put these sentiments in Mary's hands as well. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, Holy Mary, our hope, handmaid of the Lord. Amen.